And uh, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. Over the last few weeks and still several more weeks to go, I've been working through a series that we're calling Faith Foundations. Often we take a book of Scripture and study through it from beginning to end, but I just, as in my own time and prayer and walk with the Lord, I just felt like it's, been, it's important for us to go back and to reaffirm and to be challenged once again by the foundation of our faith, that we understand where we are or where we would be without Christ and who we are in Christ and what we can have hope for because of Christ and what our foundation is. You know as well as I do, you try to build a building without a good foundation, that building will fall. And if you ever have a building that was at one time built on a good foundation, but then somehow gets moved off that foundation, that building also will fall. Last week, as some of us went back over to the Lake Charles area to help people cleaning up after Hurricane Laura, we saw some homes, some different buildings that had been moved off their foundation. Entire buildings, houses, literally picked up and moved. One, in fact, was picked up, flipped over, and dropped right back on the same foundation that it once stood upon. If we don't have a strong foundation, we will never withstand in the storms of this life. And God's allowed a few storms this year, hasn't He? Storms are not something new to God. And storms are not something that ever catch God by surprise. In fact, I believe storms are absolutely part of God's plan. That God uses in our life to help us to walk closer with Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, The Apostle Paul, one of maybe a person that we would call one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, is sharing about one of his personal struggles. You know, the Apostle Paul had struggles. So if he did, my guess is you do too. I know I do. Here he refers to his struggle as a thorn in the flesh. And I hope this message this morning will challenge and encourage you as it has already challenged me that often in our brokenness, God reveals His strength. In our weakness, He shows how strong that He is because His grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, follow along as I read. The Bible says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me." And he said unto me, what did he say? 
My grace is sufficient for thee. He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Weakness is not something that is unfamiliar to our human condition. Rather, it is a part of our daily lives. The thing that truly is unnatural to us as humans is strength. And yet, isn't it that strength, that position of power, authority that we're constantly pursuing in our life? Right? The strength to be able to do whatever it is we want to do. And, and we feel really good when we have this strength. But God said that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. There's a story told of a little girl who was out in her backyard one day and she found a cocoon attached to a branch. So she very carefully broke that twig off and, and carried that little piece of twig with the cocoon still intact and put it in a jar in her room because she wanted to be present when that butterfly came out of its chrysalis. And as she waited day after day after day, what seemed like eternity, finally one day she noticed the butterfly beginning to emerge. And as she watched that butterfly there struggling, she decided in her youthful ambition to help that butterfly along. And so she reached down and pried apart a little bit bigger hole in that cocoon so that the butterfly could make its way out. Only little did she know in her youthful innocence that by making it easier for the butterfly to get out, she had doomed that butterfly to a life of walking and not flying. Because the scientists tell us that it is through the struggle of the butterfly coming out of its cocoon that its wings are strengthened and hardened so that it can become the beautiful butterfly that it is and be able to fly. I think this is often true in our spiritual life. We don't grow in the Lord. We don't grow in our ability to walk through this life through easy times. Rather, it is the struggle. It is the crisis, it is the bad news, it is the sickness, it is distress, it is getting tired, it is trying to put one foot in front of the other with the wind in your face. It is the struggle in life that strengthens you to make you strong. There are some things in life that God has determined that He will not fix until you go through the crucible of suffering. 
God will break you so you can learn to depend upon Him. Are there any witnesses to that this morning that have experienced that? Yeah. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't, you can go to sleep, all right? This message. I think all of us go through some difficulties, haven't we? And if you haven't, get ready, buckle up, because <laughs> they're coming. Because that's the story of life, isn't it? Life is hard. This year began with lots of excitement for a lot of people. New decade, new year. Maybe some of you are excited to watch the Olympic Games. What happened to those this summer? COVID-19. We were excited to go down and have a big dedication service for a new church plant. What happened to that this year? COVID-19. I was excited. I'd already bought tickets to go to some games and watch the Astros play this year. COVID-19 happened to that too. Some of you had vacation plans that were canceled. Graduation plans were changed. Weddings were pushed off. Life was different. In January, here in our church, we had a fantastic missions conference as God did a great work in our hearts and challenged us to faithful service for Him. We even got to see some people in our own church who said, I believe God's calling me into ministry. Our calendar was full. Our plans were made. We even had a mission trip that was supposed to go to the Dominican Republic this past summer. What happened to those things? COVID-19. This year I was asking God for great power, for growth in our church, for many people to be saved and baptized, for people to grow in their walk with God. And then it just kind of felt like the world stopped, didn't it? And yet as we watch on the news, we know the world did not stop. In fact, it seemed to speed up as the problems and the unrest and the struggle came out. I remember all of our plans that we made this year. In fact, I still have them typed up. They were good plans. But God said, those weren't my plans. You may feel like that. We live in a world now, today, that six months ago we maybe couldn't have imagined that there are some who are encouraging churches, even like ours, to remain closed. Where some people think, well, maybe I'll never go out again. Where violence is encouraged by some and celebrated by others. Confidence in the future of our country is at an all-time low. Maybe you in your own personal life have come to a place this year where you feel weak, overwhelmed, completely inadequate, undone, or broken. You may be at a place where you feel stuck, not sure how to move forward or backward or anywhere, and wondering if it's even worth it to go on. I want to encourage you this morning that while the predictions of the wisest ones of this world, while their predictions are grim, 
While some have predicted the continuation of sickness and struggles of the economy, and while your personal struggle is very real, that the King of Kings is still on His throne this morning, that God is still in charge, that He still has a plan, and it's still being performed in our lives for His glory and for our good. God's plans are still right on track. Your plans, my plans, maybe not so much. But His plans are right on track. As you face difficulties in your life and as you continue to walk through these days together with others, it's natural to be discouraged by the circumstances that you see around you. When King Hezekiah was sick and nigh unto death, King Hezekiah in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah came to him and said, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Thank you, Isaiah, right? I know that's what Hezekiah wanted to hear. Wouldn't you want someone to come over to your house and say, All right, get your affairs in order, you're about to die. You're like, wow, that was an encouraging word, preacher. Thank you, right? Sometimes that's how it feels, doesn't it? What did Hezekiah do, though? The Bible says that Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. He's sick. He's laying in bed. The prophet of God has said, you're about to die. And Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Remember me now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. Maybe you, like Hezekiah, are faced with the trials of this life and have prayed to God and you've reminded God of all the good things that you've done. You reminded God how you've served Him faithfully. And you've asked God, well then, why are you doing this to me? God, why have you allowed this difficulty in my life? What have I done to deserve this? But in the trial that God has given you, He may be working in your life just as He was working in the Apostles Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here Paul talked about his struggle and he referred to it with two different words, the thorn in the flesh and the one who buffeted him, a thorn and buffeting. I want you to see first of all here in verse 7 that when God allows thorns in our life, that thorns replace self-dependence with savior dependence he says it twice in verse number seven at the beginning and at the end of the verse just in case you missed it and lest i should be exalted above measure then he tells us about the thorn and about being buffeted and he finishes the verse and lest i should be exalted above measure clearly this was a struggle for paul And I would dare say it's a struggle for you and it's a struggle for me. We often want to be exalted above measure. We often think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. We often have more confidence in our abilities and our understanding and our control over a situation than we ought to have. So God allowed a thorn in Paul's life so that he would not be exalted above measure. And God allows trials and difficulties in your life so that you would not be self-dependent, but that you would be Savior-dependent. 
If God allowed you to do all that you had planned without Him, then you would take glory that does not belong to you. It all belongs to God, doesn't it? So God allows difficulty in our life to keep us humble, to break us, to mold us, to shape us, so that we would become more dependent upon Him. Doesn't it seem backwards, though? Like, you feel like when I first received Christ, that's when I really had to be dependent on Him for everything, right? For my salvation. And while that's absolutely true, I believe as we continue to walk through the Christian life, we don't need then less dependence on Him. We need even more dependence upon Him. So here's Paul the Apostle, some would say the greatest Christian who ever lived. This man who gave his life to the cause of Christ, who traveled the world that was known at that time, sharing the gospel wherever he went, and God used him to spread the gospel all over the place. Yesterday in our Aspire class, we were studying the historical background of the New Testament, focusing specifically on the, what's known as the intertestamental period. That's the period between when Malachi was written and when Matthew was written. Did you know there's some 400 years in that space of time? Have you ever sat back and thought about how long 400 years is? Like That's almost double the age of the United States. You go back 400 years from right now, you're back in the 1600s. A lot has happened in that period of time. During that time in the nation of Israel, it was a time of struggle, a time of chaos, a time of oppression. As different competing foreign enemies came in and took control, and often the Israelites were victims as the collateral damage, so to speak, because wars were being fought over the land of Israel in the land of Israel, and it was being fought by opposing outside forces. And the people living in the day-to-day life were being killed, were being uh, taken advantage of, and being pillaged just because that's where they lived. Sometimes that's how our life feels too, doesn't it? What did I do to deserve this? I must have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Can I encourage you as a child of God, if you're walking with Him, you can never be in the wrong place at the wrong time if you're walking in obedience to the Lord. While there may be difficulties and struggle along the way, if God has allowed it, it is for His purpose. And He's at work in your life. Paul said here, thorns were allowed in his life so that he would not be exalted beyond measure. I want you to understand better the depth of which Paul describes his dilemma in these two words, thorn and buffet. The word translated thorn here is only used one time in the whole New Testament. This isn't a rose thorn. This isn't even the long thorns that were used on Jesus when they put the crown of thorns on his head. This is referring to like a long wooden stake, like a cattle prod. So I know a thorn is bothersome when you, you know, get into the rose bush or you try to pull some weeds and it has thorns at the bottom. This is like a long wooden stake just being thrust into your side. 
over and over again. This is what Paul's saying about his thorn. It's like, oh, over and over, I, I'm, I'm being impaled by this wooden stake. This isn't just a minor nuisance. This is like some major physical or spiritual struggle that Paul is dealing with. He uses the word thorn, but then he says, even the messenger of Satan has been sent to buffet me. The word to buffet means to be hit over and over again, like striking someone in the face with your fist or open hand. So that sounds like a great life, right? This was not some minor issue. This was a major crisis, and maybe some of you this morning are going through some crisis like that. Anybody know what that stake feels like, being jabbed into your side over and over again? That constant reminder? God has allowed it in your life so that you would not be exalted above measure. This kind of struggle, this kind of difficulty is the kind of difficulty that some nice little anecdote or church saying or devotional may not be enough to help you through. Don't you love it when you're going through something really hard and someone comes up and says, oh yeah, you'll get over it, you'll be fine. I've had a problem like that before. And you want to yell back, no you haven't because you've never had my problem. You may have had something similar. But this problem is inside of me. And you know what I'm talking about, right? When the problem's inside of you, it's the biggest problem in the world at that time. And nobody else understands. And everybody trying to be nice. It doesn't even help sometimes. But if God's grace is truly sufficient, as Paul says, if God's Word truly works, if the Holy Spirit really is real, and if the power of God is at work in us, then I believe God's grace is sufficient. He is big enough. He does have enough power to help us to walk through those difficulties that He allows in our life. Your problem may have been carried to you by Satan, as he says, the messenger of Satan, but it was conceived by God. Because God won't let anything happen to His child that catches Him off guard. I think you know what I'm talking about. I think some of you, just by nature of your silence this morning, I would say you're going, hmm, yeah, this is right where I'm living right now. The reality is, even though we can walk into church with a smile on Sunday, chances are every person, to some extent, is dealing with some thorn in the flesh every day. Maybe you're dealing with the sickness of a mother, the loss of a child, a personal illness, a financial crisis. If you have a thorn in the flesh, I have good news for you this morning. His grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. But I want you to notice, because Paul says one other thing about this thorn in verse 8 that's very important and instructive to us as we study 
this challenge of dealing with thorns and buffeting in our life. Notice verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. So while thorns help to remove self-dependence and replace that with Savior dependence, thorns also, notice, cannot always be removed through prayer. Sometimes I think a, a, an insidious way of thinking or teaching creeps into our lives and sometimes into our churches. That if I just pray hard enough, if I just believe enough, if I just have enough faith, God will take this problem away from me. Well, unless you have something that the Apostle Paul didn't have, God may just allow you to carry that thorn with you, even if you pray really hard about it. See, I thought this was supposed to be encouraging. You're telling me prayer doesn't work? No, prayer does work. But when we pray according to God's will, and God's will is not always that you should not have any difficulties in life. In fact, God may have allowed something in your life that you will carry with you throughout the entire rest of your life. Because thorns can't always be removed through prayer. That is not because God is weak. It's not because prayer doesn't work. It's because sometimes God in His sovereign will, as your Heavenly Father says, you need to keep this thorn because it will remind you to be dependent on me and not on yourself. Paul went to the Lord three times and asked Him to remove it. But God each time allowed him to carry that thorn to remind Paul of his weakness. So Paul realized finally, God's not going to remove this thorn. I, I think we all need constant reminders in our life of who we are in Christ and who we were without Christ. We need reminders of our deficiency and reminders of His sufficiency. Now you may be hearing this this morning and say, I know full and well I'm deficient. <laughs> But if God allows something in your life, it's not to beat you down, but rather to cause you to rely upon Him more. Every now and then, God needs to remind us of our deficiency so that He can remind us that without Him, we can do nothing. Because every once in a while, we get this little idea that maybe, just maybe, I could do a little something and it'd work out pretty good. If God would just... Let me have control. Just for a moment, Lord. It's sort of like right now when I get in the car, I have younger children. Occasionally, there's a voice that comes in from the back seat. Hey, Dad, could I drive today? <laughs> Some of you dads know what I'm talking about. Those boys, man, they, they get about eight years old there. They're competent, they're ready, in their own mind. Have you ever done that with God? Say, God, I see where you're taking us. Maybe I don't see where you're taking us. But God, 
Maybe just let me get up there and ride, drive for a little while. Because I can see where this needs to go. Last year, one day I was sitting in my office studying and I looked out the window and a couple of boys in the neighborhood came riding in at quite a great rate of speed into our church parking lot on their brand new go-kart. Eight, nine-year-old boys sit in the office. Nobody's here except me. And they start ripping around the parking lot and, you know, burning rubber in their go-kart and as they spin around and drive around the parking lot. And I'm sitting there going, all right, what do I do about this, you know? I, I remember being a boy and I thought, man, an open parking lot, your own go-kart. I mean, I didn't have those things as a boy. That'd be pretty neat, you know? And so part of me wanted to just let them have fun. The other part of me thought, oh, what's going to happen, you know, if they hurt themselves? And So I'm watching out the window for a second. All of a sudden they came tearing up this way and kind of across the front corner and I hear this big thump and I go outside and, and he had run into the back tire of my van in his go-kart. Well, that was the end of his go-kart riding on our church property. <laughs> As his dad came up, oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> my van was not damaged. The go-kart survived. But unfortunately, that boy's days of driving his go-kart on our church property were over at that point. <laughs> Why? Because he said, well, I, I know where I'm going. I know how to do this. I got this new go-kart. There's the gas. There's the brake. Here's the steering wheel. What could possibly go wrong? And sometimes that's how you feel in your life too, isn't it? Like, all right, I've got a little experience here. I know what I'm doing. I mean, after all, I'm a grown-up. They gave me a driver's license. I even have a real job. And we want to take over and drive, and God then allows something in our life Maybe it's a loss of that job. Maybe it's a physical difficulty. Maybe it's some other person that God brings across our path. And we're like, God, why'd you bring them across my path? Sometimes the thorn is somebody else. Thorns can't always be removed through prayer. Some of you have taken your thorns to the Lord and God hasn't removed them. But he's using it to remind you that his grace is sufficient. We see that in verse 9. Thorns remind us that God's grace is sufficient. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient. You know what that word means? It means it's enough. It's enough. It's enough for everything that I need. Kind of like the feeling a teenage boy gets when he goes to grandma's house at Thanksgiving. And he sits down, and he goes, or he goes through the line, and he fills up his plate, and he goes down and sits, and he eats everything on his plate, and his grandma is coming around. Hey, you need a little more of this? Here's some more potatoes. Here's some more meat. Take this. How about some more cranberries? How about this? How about some stuffing? Oh, thank you, grandma. Thank you. Here's another roll. Here, and they eat, and they eat. But eventually... Even those teenage boys with hollow legs, and I was one of them at one time, get to the point where they say, Grandma, that's enough. Please, Grandma, stop. Sit down and eat, Grandma. I've had enough. There's probably some grandmothers here this morning that know what I'm talking about, and I know there's some teenage boys here that know what I'm talking about this morning, or some former teenage boys. 
You know when you've had enough. God's grace is enough. It won't leave you wanting. It won't leave you empty. It won't even leave you with just that little bit of craving for something more. If you'll learn to rest in His grace and run to His grace and find, his com find your comfort in His grace, His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. So when you're weak, His strength is completed in you. It's demonstrated through you. Because you're weak. Again, almost seems backwards. There are a lot of these almost paradoxical statements that are part of the Christian faith. The way to be strong is to be weak. The world doesn't understand this. Sometimes even as Christians, we struggle to understand this. And yet he says our strength is made perfect, or his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Thorns remind us that God's grace is sufficient. So because God's grace is sufficient, we're reminded that we are not enough. You may have thought you were enough and that you were able, but now through the thorn God's allowed in your life, you're reminded you're not. All God has to do is to move His hand, and everything that you call your own will come to nothing. We feel pretty self-sufficient sometimes, don't we? I kind of got this thing called life. I got it figured out. The older I get, the more I realize we're all just grown-up kids with more experience. But sometimes even our experience fails us, doesn't it? You're not enough. God allows regular reminders into our life to remind us of our insufficiency. Age is a reminder of your weakness. I saw some guys limping around this week after they played basketball on Sunday night. Some of you limped to church this morning, perhaps, and go, it's been a week. I didn't get to dunk on Brother Michael on Sunday night. Now, there might have been a day, but it definitely wasn't last week. And then Brother Mike said, there would never be a day, right? He'd remind me of my weakness. Thank you, Brother Mike, for reminding me of my weakness. Unexpected challenges are a reminder of our weakness. Even our current situation in our society is a reminder of our weakness. Our inability to control or predict the future is a reminder of our weakness. Even the very fact that you must stop from time to time to eat and sleep is a reminder of your weakness. Did you know God never sleeps? God doesn't have to eat. The, the marriage supper of the lamb, you don't, it's prepared for us, right? God doesn't need those things because he's God. He's all sufficient. You don't have to add anything else to God to make him enough. He's already enough. Oftentimes, though, we like to think of ourselves more highly than we ought, which is why Paul said, God allowed this thorn into my life so that I wouldn't think more highly of myself. And we think, well, God's pretty great, but I'm going to add a little more of me and it's going to be really good. God says, no, less of you and more of me. And that ought to be our life, shouldn't it? 
That ought to be our focus. That ought to be our cry. God, less of me and more of you. God, less of me and more of you. God, remind me of my weakness so that your strength can be made perfect because your grace is sufficient. The only thing that is enough is God's grace. It's only by God's grace that you can take another step. It's only by grace that you've been saved. It's only by God's grace that you were even able to be here today. You realize that? Some of you thought, well, I'll, I'll be at church. I mean, nothing can stop me from church. Uh, that sounds good, but it's actually not true. Because for most of us, it wouldn't take very much. At least in our society today, it doesn't take much to keep people from church. It is only by God's grace that we are even worshiping freely today. I wish I could shout loud enough for all the world to hear that it's only by God's grace that you're able to do anything. God, remind us of our weakness so that we can be confident of your all-sufficient grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, infinite grace, grace that is greater. God's grace is enough. Well, we see that thorns in our life help to replace self-dependence with Savior dependence. Lest I become exalted beyond measure. Thorns cannot always be removed through prayer. Doesn't mean you shouldn't pray about them, but God may not remove that thorn. Thorns remind us that God's grace is sufficient. And finally, this morning, I want you to notice thorns received as God's plan. When you receive the thorn that God allows in your life as part of God's plan, it will result in a believer who is strong in the grace of God and a believer who gives glory to God. That's what we see in the second half of verse 9 and verse 10. He says here, Most gladly, because God's grace is sufficient, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You want to experience God's power in your life? Glory in your weakness. Celebrate the fact that you're not enough and that He is the only one that is enough. In fact, He says in verse 10, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions. Paul says, I, I, I look forward to these difficulties. Why? He says, For when I am weak, then am I strong. If you're weak this morning, if you're in distress this morning, glory in that. Praise the Lord for that. Because if you came in here feeling really strong and self-sufficient this morning, it's going to be really hard for you because the days are only going to get worse and worse. May we realize right now, before things get any harder than they already are, 
that I'm weak and he's strong. That his grace is sufficient. That I'm not enough and he is. So how will you respond to thorns in your life? I think that's kind of the question, right? How are you going to respond to the thorns, to the buffeting that you go through? Well, here in this passage, we see two responses. Number one, glory in your infirmities. Glory in them. Why? So that God's power can rest upon you. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful when I see and feel God's power at work in my life. I'm thankful when I get to share the gospel and somebody gets saved. I'm thankful when I get to preach the gospel and God works in people's lives and I come away saying, well, that wasn't much of a message, but God used it anyway because He's God and I'm not. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful when He gives me strength when I feel weak. I'm thankful when He lifts me up when I fall down. I'm thankful when He encourages me when I'm discouraged. That's when I get to experience the power of God in my life. Two responses to thorns in your life. Number one, glory in your infirmities. The second one is very similar to the first. Take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. Why? Because when you're weak, He is strong. Perhaps you're here this morning and you say, I don't need any reminders of my weakness. I know I'm weak. Can I encourage you as you struggle along with your weakness to allow that weakness to drive you to His grace and to rest in Him? Too many times people struggle with their weakness and they just get discouraged and depressed and they want to quit. That's the story of a young mother with children keeping her up all night. That's the story of an individual who at work is facing all kinds of pressures and unknowns. That's the difficulty of the teenager who's looking at the world that they're living in and saying, what do I do next? Just hunker down and play video games or am I going to actually go on and do something with my life, right? That's the struggle of the, of the elderly person who looks around and says, I'm losing my control, I'm losing my abilities, I, I'm losing the things that I once had. What am I going to do? That's the struggle of the single person who says, I, I just wish I could have more than what God's given me. That's the struggle of every single one of us in distresses, in difficulties, in reproaches, in necessities. Why? Because when I'm weak, He's strong. In my weakened condition, I need to depend on His grace. Some of you, before this year started, thought you were pretty strong Christians, thought your faith was strong. And when God allows thorns in your life, it's like God saying, you haven't seen anything yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> God wants to show Himself strong in your life. His grace is sufficient for whatever you're facing. May we get to the place that when someone sees you moving forward, taking the next step, living your life, that they wouldn't be able to say, wow. Look what she has done. Wow, look what he has done. But rather they'd be able to say, look what God has done. I want people to say that when they come into our church. Not look around and say, wow, this is a talented crowd. Wow, this is 
a really spiritual bunch of people. Wow, these people really got it together. No, I'd rather that they come and say, wow, there must be a great God because look at all these people. <laughs> it's only God. It's only Him. It's only by His grace that God could assemble such a motley crew and put them together for His purpose and for His glory in all of their weaknesses, in all of their deficiencies, in all of their struggles, and give them a purpose and point them towards Him for His glory to the work of the gospel in this world and to look for the return of Jesus Christ so that we could be ready when He comes back, standing and saying, God, not us, but only you. We don't have enough strength. Only you have enough strength. God, I'm weak, but you're strong. God, your grace is sufficient. I'm not enough. God's good, isn't He? Amen. May people say in your life and in my life, look what God has done. You know, that happened to the Apostle Paul here. Because even to this day, sometimes, as believers, even as preachers and Churches, we look at somebody like the Apostle Paul and we go, wow, what a guy. I mean, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he even got bit by a snake. He kept on preaching. Man, I could never be like Paul. God's grace is sufficient. And God had to remind even Paul, with all of his education, with his Roman citizenship, with all of his experience, even with the fact that God had met with Paul personally and Jesus had worked with him and helped to train him and prepare him. God had spoken to him on the road to Damascus. It's easy to think, boy, if I had all those things Paul did, then I'd really be something. That's the wrong way to think. Because Paul had to learn he couldn't think that way either. God... You've allowed this thorn in my flesh. God, I've prayed. I've asked you over and over to remove it. And God, you, you won't do it. Why? Because God's trying to remind me. God said to me, Paul said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. God's grace woke you up this morning. God's grace got you to church today. God's grace is standing me up right now. His grace will keep you all the year long. So when you turn your face to the wall like Hezekiah did and say, God, I, I don't know how long you have me here. Would we be able to say, but I'm going to give you my best as long as you allow me to live here for your glory. It is no secret what God can do. What God will do in you and through you and with you if you'll trust in Him. I love what the psalmist said. I, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me. He took my feet out of the miry clay and He set my feet on a rock and He established my going. He will make a way out of no way. He will pick you up. God will take care of you. So what's your thorn this morning? You don't have to say it out loud. If we all said it out loud, it'd probably get pretty loud in here. See, the Bible is not specific here. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's not specific about what his thorn was. 
Because I think if you knew what Paul's thorn was, you'd either be like, well, I don't have that problem. Or you'd be like, oh yeah, Paul, I understand. I've I had that problem. And Paul would look at you and say, you don't understand, it's my problem, right? I think God left it ambiguous on purpose for us here. Because the truth is, the real issue here is not what your thorn is. Because we all have them, and it may all be different. The issue is not what your thorn is. The issue is, what are you going to do with that thorn? Are you going to allow it to bring dependence on the Lord into your life? Are you going to allow it to let God teach you that He's sufficient and you're not? Are you going to allow it for God to work in your life so that He could show Himself strong in your weakness? The question is not, what is your thorn? The question is, what are you going to do with your thorn? Because God allowed it. I would have to say, God even conceived it. He knows all things. And God's grace is sufficient. If you're here this morning, say, I've been dealing with the thorn, but I, I wasn't dealing with it right. As we bow our heads in prayer in just a minute, as the piano plays, maybe you could play it as well with my soul. And if it's not well with your soul, I would encourage you to bow right where you are or come down here and pray and give it all back to Him again. You say, well, is that going to fix all my problems? No, nope, because you'll just have to keep giving it to Him. Paul prayed over and over and over again. But he was learning that God's grace is sufficient. Father, help us. Because I, like probably everyone else in this room, while challenged by this passage, and this is not the first time I've been challenged from this passage, I am guilty of giving it all to you and then picking it right back up and carrying it off again. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me for that, forgive all of us for that. And that this morning, if somebody's got this thorn, this burden, this struggle, this buffeting in their life, and it's been driving them to discouragement, despair, even to consider turning away from you completely. Pray, Lord, that they would reorient themselves and fix their eyes back on you so that they could understand that your grace is sufficient for them as well. Lord, do a work in our hearts this morning. I believe you already are at work. We need you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you keep your heads bowed and eyes closed? If you're able to stand, would you join us? If you want to sit and pray or you want to come forward and pray, some have already come. You can come as well. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. When you're weak, He's strong. Give it to Him this morning. As you hear the piano play, it is well with my soul. If you can't truly and honestly say that this morning, would you come and get it right with the Lord so that it can be well with your soul? People are praying all around the room right now. God's at work. He's working in your heart this morning. Don't push it away. Don't go from here the same as when you came in. Allow Him to do your work in, in His work in your life that only He can do. His grace is sufficient.